welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our enjoyment and experiences of language learning with you. I'm Beck. Hi, I'm Penny. And in today's episode, we're very happy to welcome another guest with us. Maddie, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name's Maddie Madison Norris. Um, I'm a certified Chinese to English translator and a long-time uh, listener of the Language Chats podcast. Woo! <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Maddie. And uh, some of you keen listeners out there might actually recognise Maddie's voice because Maddie, you've been on the podcast before. Ah, uh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> actually, in just a very in a very short snippet, because yeah. um, last year, some of you might remember, we did a little episode about the language event in Melbourne, and Maddie was there. Um, and I took a little soundbite of Maddie telling us about her experience there. So actually, this is your second time on the podcast, uh, Okay, yeah, sure. If the first time counts, then I'll, I'll count that. <laughs> um, it was actually, it was nice talking about that language event. It was actually nice to get to meet another language lover in Australia in person, wasn't it? Like it's such a rare thing, especially nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. It was the first kind of event that I had been to for language lovers. Like, I think we were even talking about it at the event. It's like, you know, you kind of grow up loving languages and learning languages and thinking you're the only person that is into it. And then you go to this kind of or that kind of event and it just kind of blows your mind a little bit. Sure does. Sure does. So how did you first get into language learning and where did all your language learning kind of experiences kick off? Um, well, so we um, had to learn languages in primary school. Um, I actually moved primary schools a few times. Um, so I started off with German, I think, and then it went to Spanish and I learned Spanish for a few years. But um as we know, like learning languages in primary school in Australia, you you know, you don't really learn much. It's more just like some fun activities for kids to do. Um, and then when I started high school, so, uh, sorry, I'm from Adelaide. I'm from South Australia. So in um, Adelaide, you start high school in year eight. So in year eight, I started learning Chinese, so Mandarin Chinese. And that's when I really discovered like, yeah, I, th I think I want to, you know, <laughs> spend my life with languages and I just love learning languages and I just, yeah, I, I just loved it. So, yeah, definitely in high school, I think that's where it started for me. So what has been, I guess, your experience of learning Mandarin Chinese in Australia? How, as you know, starting off, I guess, as a 13, 14-year-old till now, mm. Um have there been kind of ups and downs? I mean, we know that language learning is not like a a lovely progressive kind of up the whole way. There's mm. like lots of weaving and ups and things that don't go to plan. Yeah. How would you kind of sum up your, I guess, your Chinese learning? Well, it was definitely a challenge. Like so um, at my high school, learning languages were – uh, only it was only compulsory for years eight and nine. So then when it got to year 10, I like definitely wanted to continue. Like I, I there was no kind of second, you know, second thoughts about it at all. Um, but I ended up being the 
only person in the whole year level. So previously in year nine, I think there'd, there'd been about probably 60 students learning Chinese. Um, I was literally the only one that wanted to continue on into year 10. So um, the school organised for me to attend um a languages school in the city in Adelaide. So I had to go after school once a week to do that. Um, and then for years 11 and 12, they just combined me in with um, a classroom lower year level. So it was kind of like from, from about year 10, um, it became a very kind of like individual and, and personal thing to me. Like it, it kind of felt like I was you know, putting myself out there, like I'm the girl that <laughs> learns Chinese, you know. Um, and, but, you know, everyone was really supportive, um, you know, of my decision to to continue on with the language and um, especially, you know, having the time to go to a specialised language school set up specific, specifically for me, it, it made me feel, you know, like I was uh, doing the right thing. And so I decided that I wanted to be um, a translator um, which is different to an interpreter. I'm not sure, like, not a lot of people, um, you know, know the difference between interpreters and translators. I never really wanted to be an interpreter, um, but I decided then that I wanted to be a translator, and so then I basically just, um, you know, I figured out, like, the pathways that I needed to follow, um, and so I went on to university to study Chinese and... Um, went on some exchanges to China. Um, so my experience learning the language was, um, you know, has and it still is, you know, a very rich and fulfilling one. Do you think that you were quite lucky to have the support that you did to continue, given that it feels like all around you, you know, all of the students kind of dropped off and you didn't have that <laughs> student-level community? Because <laughs> I think yeah. that, would be, that is quite a confronting um, thing to find that you are the only one left out of a class of, you know, when you were saying there was a cohort of maybe 60 students and that nobody else wanted to continue in year 10, which I, I, I find quite um, surprising actually that out of one out of 60 yeah. um, or thereabouts is a, yeah, quite a, um, quite a condemning sort of <laughs> figure. Um, but it is great that you had support around you to make you feel like you could still do that, that your school even facilitated for you to be able to continue um, outside of your your physical school? I think that, um, I mean, it's it was good of the school to realise, you know, well, she really wants to continue and she really wants to do it. And there was another... Um, there was another boy that I think was at the year level above me and he ended up being the only um, person in his year level as well. So, And we actually lived around the corner from each other, so we would kind of like carpool to and from the school. So, um, I mean, I think maybe if there was only me or, you know, maybe if there, um, if there were less, there were a few more people, like I don't know what they would have done, but I do... I do think that, you know, they should have tried to encourage more people to stick with the language. I mean, but that I guess that's more of a, like, curriculum kind of thing because it wasn't compulsory. And like you guys have spoken about languages in Australia before, just I just feel like people don't value it at all. And, I mean, I was in high school um, 
let's say, 15 years ago. <laughs> so even so back then, um, I feel like there was even kind of even less um, importance placed on it, maybe more so now. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think it was good of my school to, to help me and to facilitate me to continue or, you know, not have a break in my learning. Um, but, you know, it would have been great if they if they could have done more. Back Back then when you were, say, 15, 16, did you know that a career involving language actually existed? Did you know that translation and interpretation was like an actual job that you could aspire to and study? No. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, looking back? (laughs) But that is kind of like when I discovered it. So, like, I actually remember that we had to – I think it was – I was in a class – in year 10 where people were kind of talking about their potential future careers or like kind of looking at subjects that they wanted to do for year 11 and 12 um, and thinking about then what they wanted to do at uni. And so we were kind of being coached like at the year 10 level to start thinking about years 11 and 12 and to start thinking about uni and then obviously what we would get out of going to uni and what we would you know, what career we would end up in. So I decided then and there that that's what I wanted to do. So I, yeah, so I just like, you know, put myself on the pathway to to being a translator. Um, yeah, so I, I studied, um, I did a Bachelor of Arts um, and I majored in the Chinese language um, at the University of Adelaide. Um, and I did some Asian studies as well, so like Chinese and Japanese politics and history. Um, and I also did study a bit of Japanese in um, uni. Um, yes, but um, and then once I um, once I graduate, I actually did a semester um, in my undergraduate in China in Shanghai. Um, so that really kind of solidified that. I wanted to work with the Chinese language and I wanted to, um, you know, keep studying it. Um, And then when I graduated, I went and spent another year in China just to, like, solidify my language skills. And then when I came back from China the second time, um, I applied to do a master's in translating and interpreting. (laughs) And how how did you find doing the master's in translating and interpreting? Because I have heard that um, it is very, very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it, I think the courses actually vary a lot across universities, um, which, you know, you would hope that they would be quite similar. But I also have a friend that did, so I did my master's at RMIT. um, And basically, I specialised in Chinese into English translation. So um, I did some basic interpreting theory and I also like helped out with interpreting um, role playing, that kind of thing, but I didn't actually study interpreting. Um, So I think that um, in lots of courses and lots of masters, you basically have to do interpreting. And I think for a lot of people, like that's where the challenge is. Like I find interpreting so difficult like I really like I admire interpreters so much like I I would you know like to do that one day um if I kind of put my mind to it but I never really wanted to be an interpreter so I think that 
that is probably where the, the challenge is for a lot of people. And also like when you, like one of my friends did her master's at um, Melbourne University and from the sounds of it, it was like extremely difficult. And she had to, she's also a native English speaker, but she had to do um English into Chinese translations. So translating out of your native language is harder than translating into your native language. So um, it's just like, it's just, it's just difficult, like all around. Um, so I think I basically, you know, I stuck with um, what I wanted to do um, and set my mind to that. And, you know, I didn't have these other kind of things um, creating more difficulty for me. <laughs> Do you think that, um, so just, sorry, just for the benefit of anyone who is listening who maybe doesn't know the difference between translating and interpreting, mm-hmm. um, could you just give a quick uh, summary yeah, on the differences sure. between the two? So translation is the written transfer of meaning from one language to another. So it's written documents like I translate um, birth certificates, um, academic transcripts, bank statements, anything written um, from Chinese into English. Um, And then interpreting is the verbal transfer of meaning from from one language to another. So um, it's, yeah, it's everything, um, everything verbal, like, um, you know, if somebody that doesn't speak English needs to make a phone call, they can um, call up and get the assistance of an interpreter and speak to agent, like government agencies or, you know, like the um, power company, gas company, that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the more formal interpreting, which is conference interpreting. So like things like the UN. So where you see the people in the booths, um, <laughs> you know, and, and everyone's got a microphone and, um, you know, all the um, speeches are being tra- um, interpreted. Sorry, <laughs> see, even I slipped up there <laughs> being interpreted for <laughs> world leaders, that kind of thing. Do you think there are um, a different set of skills that interpreters and, and translators have I mean each kind of specialization do you think that you as a translator have a particular set of skills that differentiates you from interpreters um interpreting is definitely well I mean I'm not sorry I'm not even an interpreter so I mean I I don't know for sure but I have studied a, a little bit and I've worked with interpreters before um, but it's definitely more kind of you have to be thinking really quickly and, you know, you're not um, – you're kind of like an impartial conduit, so you kind of have to just, um, I guess, kind of shut off everything else in your mind and just listen to, you know, what's being said to you in two different languages and just transfer the meaning basically. So, um, yeah, it's definitely different from translating, which is like you have more time to kind of sit down and look at a document and go, okay, what is this? And um, what is the meaning that it's trying to convey? Um, So, yeah, translating is definitely more um, slower paced. Um, and I don't have to do any speaking, which is good. I don't <laughs> like speaking, you know, it's, uh, I think it's the bane of many language learners' um, existence, um, speaking in a different language. But, um, yeah, and, you know, just things like it's definitely completely um, different things altogether. Like I said, some of the things I translate are identity documents. So, um, you know, 
people might be using that for like a, a visa application, um, that kind of thing. Whereas interpreting, it's kind of more on the spot, like, you know, maybe you've, you know, been in a car crash and in a country where you don't speak the language and you need help, it's much more instant um, mm. and translating is very more kind of slow-paced and, and um, kind of metered, yeah. I think it's 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 so interesting hearing you talking about translation and interpreting because um, I think a lot, a lot of people don't realise that those skills are independent of actually just speaking or learning a language. So, you know, just because you speak a second language doesn't necessarily mean that you could be a translator or be an interpreter. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people make that assumption that um, – you know, oh, I can speak another language, um, I may as well be an interpreter. And, you know, yeah, that's good. That's good. We need more interpreters. We need more people, you know, wanting to be language professionals. But there's another element to it, yeah, where you've got to um, spend some time training, spend some time, you know, thinking about um, what you're actually doing as a profession, you know, you're being like that, as I said before, an impartial conduit for somebody who's trying to have convey their message or have their message heard. You know, it's not about having a conversation with somebody in another language. It's about transferring the meaning. So it's, it's a very important, uh, very important role, very important um, profession. And um, yeah, learning a lot of or knowing another language is like definitely the starting point, but it's not all of it at all. I think it's really cool lately too that we've seen how important um, translation and inter- and interpreting is in the community uh, with all of the information for coronavirus that's been <laughs> has been sort of. I guess, put out there by the government and, you know, important health-related information. Um, And it just goes, it's a a very prominent um, time for in-language information, um, which we've seen published recently. Yeah, definitely. It's um, definitely highlighted the need for, for, you know, good language professionals, definitely highlighted the fact that there are, you know, whole groups of people in our country that, uh, you know, don't have access to the same information that we do or channels of information that we do. You know, they might, they, you know, they probably do have access to the same, you know, TV channels that we do, radio stations, but they don't, if they don't understand it and there's very important information being conveyed, then it's not really of any use to them. So it's definitely highlighted that. And it's not just, you know, one or two other languages, but, you know, several languages that I feel probably the general public in Australia wouldn't even know the names or the, the languages that, you know, large groups of people in our country speak. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very good that it's it's been highlighted. I mean, the, the situation's not good, but mm-hmm. it's, um, it's definitely good to, um, you know, highlight that. And the fact that the type of information that needs to be conveyed is so fast moving and ever changing. It's not like a, you know, this is the information and this is how it will Mm. stand for the rest of the year. It's like continually needing to be updated and changed. I think that's presented such a huge challenge um, 
and hopefully one that we will all learn from. <laughs> I was going to say for the next time. No. You know what I mean. <laughs> Do you know something <laughs> we don't know? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. You're right though, it's like it's day to day. I mean, it just changes every 24 hours it feels like at the moment. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're listening, I mean, we're all coming to you from Victoria, Melbourne, mm. yes. New Melbourne, so we're all feeling a little bit... <laughs> Re-lockdown, is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> feeling, feeling like we're, yeah, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you mentioned, Maddie, too, that you um, studied Japanese while you were yeah. doing your arts degree. Um, <laughs> yay for Japanese. Oh. Um, <laughs> how did you end up choosing that? And would that become a minor as part of your degree? Yeah, or? it was. It was the minor. Oh, I, I can't actually remember if it was like Asian studies was the minor and like the Japanese counted towards the Asian studies or like if it was Japanese as well as Asian studies. It was like a while ago. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I. Um, I, yeah, so I started Chinese in high school um, and one of my best friends was actually into um, K-pop and Korean um, culture. So I started, um, you know, having an interest in that as well. Um, and then kind of side by side with that um, came um, Japanese culture um, and wanting to learn Japanese. And at the time, um, Japanese was much more, accessible like as a, a course in Australia like there was not definitely not in um I couldn't study Korean like formally anywhere in Adelaide um I actually started to teach myself and then um I took a few kind of um I paid for some tu tutoring lessons in Korean, but like I couldn't study it um, as part of my degree, which was, you know, um, um, I would have loved to have, have done that, but um, I had a really keen interest in Japanese as well. So I decided to, to, um, to study Japanese and um, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> and I've studied lots of other languages as well. I've, I did, um, I did some French at uni. I did a semester or two and a little bit, I tried to pick up the Spanish, um, again, but yeah, I mean, I just love learning languages. <laughs> like that's as I'm sure you guys do as well. I, any opportunity I have to learn any language, I jump at it. Um, but yeah, I had I had an interest in um, Japan and Japanese culture, so um, I was very keen to study that at uni. Have you jumped back into Korean at all since since that time when you were an undergrad and sadly couldn't do it at uni? I mean, times have probably changed a bit now. You probably yeah. couldn't do it as part of your degree now. Maybe I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but... I think um, so. When I was, you know, in my undergrad, I. Um, I think you could only basically do it at um, ANU, Australian National University in Canberra. Um, I'm pretty sure that most universities have a Korean course now, which is good. Um, I mean, um, just, you know, goes to show how much the popularity of um, like K-pop and Korean culture has, has risen over the past 10 years. So that's um, great. Um I actually took some more classes 
When was that? Wasn't last year the year before at the CAE, the Centre for Adult Education in Melbourne? And it was like fantastic. It was like the first time I'd actually ever taken like a proper formal Korean class, like with textbooks and like, you know, with a, a class of other students. So it was really, it was like an odd, but like satisfying feeling for me. So it was really good. And I just think that um, for me, I, um, I personally love the classroom environment. Like I'm one of those people. <laughs> um, and so I just, um, I love having that structure um, of a classroom. So it was great to be able to learn Korean that way for like, finally. <laughs> yeah. How are you finding language learning in lockdown? Are you being able to continue any kind of formal language classes at the moment or have you kind of put everything on hold? Or? Yeah, I put everything on hold because I kind of, so I did, I actually did some uh, French earlier this year um, at the Alliance Francaise and um yeah, and then I think just as I was in like the last couple of weeks of that um, of that class, um, we kind of went into lockdown and, you know, I started working from home and I just kind of felt like working from home and being, you know, in front of a screen all day, I didn't then want to like spend more time um, in front of a, a screen learning online. But, I mean, everybody's different and everyone's got different things going on in their life, but I have spent some time just like I usually do um, by myself, I really like to, you know, write things out. So like I'll read some articles or I'll read some, you know, passages from textbooks and write stuff out. So that's the way that I personally like to learn. So I have been doing a bit of that, but um, I definitely want to, um, you know, now that I think we're kind of in this for the long haul, like, you know, staying at home and, you know, working from home, I'm going to try and make a, a bit more of a, um, schedule and I, I want to focus on French and Japanese. Um, I don't want to like overload myself. Like I think we all do. People that love languages, you go, oh, I want to learn that language. And you, or you buy a new book in a different language that you see and you're like, <laughs> oh, I'll just dabble in that a little bit. Um, and I probably will still do that. But I want to try and focus on doing some French and doing some Japanese probably at least once a week. And I think I probably will give in eventually and sign up for some kind of online course just because I probably like will will miss having a proper structured class so much that I think I'll give in but we'll see how I go I think probably for the rest of the year oh that sounds cool <laughs> that does sound hey, um, great do you think you'd ever um with any of your other languages like Japanese or, or French or Korean for example get it to the level that you might want to then do translation for that language as well or is that like crazy ambitious? <laughs> <laughs> it is very ambitious but like and you know I, I don't like to to like boast and gloat but I feel like if I've been able to do it in one language then surely I'd be able to do it in another language but I mean all languages are, di are different and I for some reason just feel much um, more comfortable with Asian languages so I really would I really would love to, um, you know, get to the proficiency of a, of a translator in French because, um, you know, working at the UN is one thing that I've always kind of dreamed of. Like that's probably like, you know, 
that's like the the most kind of ambitious, you know, I personally think like unattainable for myself kind of dream. But if you want to work at the UN, you usually need English and French and then a third language. So, um, yeah, I mean, I want to focus on French sometimes for that reason. Um, but then I'm just like, I feel like I'm much more passionate about um, Korean or Japanese. So I, yeah, I still haven't made that decision for myself, but it's definitely something that I, yeah, I definitely aim to uh, achieve in the future. Well, there's plenty of time <laughs> <laughs> and so many languages. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, aim high. Yeah. What have you got to lose, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for encouraging me. <laughs> We're always here to cheer you on. Yeah. <laughs> you ever have a little crisis of confidence or anything, you just give us a call and we'll be here. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Oh, thanks heaps, Maddie, for coming to talk to us on Language Chat. Yes. Oh, thank, thank you, you for having much. me. Oh, it's it's been... been a pleasure, Maddie. <laughs> Such a pleasure to have you here for the, for the second time, kind of. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, really, really nice to, to have you with us, another Australian language lover um, yep. here enjoying the the well, the joys of language learning here in Australia, even though we are a long way from lots of other places. <laughs> Yeah, thank you guys so much. And also thank you for like starting the Language Lovers group and the and um, the Language Chats podcast. Um, you know, I think you guys have created a really nice community for people that just, you know, love languages, you know, no pressure, like, you know, trying to coach people or saying that they have to like be a certain level or they have to like know a certain amount of languages, that kind of thing. It's just a really chill kind of community and um you know I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in person again when we can hopefully one day but yeah again thank you guys so much for having me oh thanks Maddie oh, thank our pleasure well if you are like Maddie and you also like learning languages in Australia or you like talking about languages or you're just interested in languages in general then you can also join the Facebook group um where language lovers au community um, there. Otherwise, follow us on Instagram, languagelovers.au, and on Facebook as well at our Facebook page, which is languagelovers.au. And if you've been enjoying listening to Language Chats, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have time, leave us a review and a rating. That really helps other people find us as a podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs>